for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Guys and gals, elk season's here. Folks in Idaho are already in the field hunting. Next up will be those of you hunting late August and early September, that transition between early season to pre-rut. So on today's show, our topics begin with a letter from our pre-rut hunters looking for help on some strategy. From our elk coaches discuss another item we've been getting questions about using decoys. Those topics, plus our Elk Bros shout outs, and we answer some of our viewers' questions today. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volume just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? And they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of the show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and joining me from New Mexico, your elk hunting coaches, Leroy Chavez and Joe Gillia. Good morning, yeah, well, guys. Hey, Good morning. Good morning, man. Yeah, I got the sunshine behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not nighttime here in Texas right now. <laughs> Good deal, bud. Well, fellas, it's time to get the party started. You yes, know sir. what time it is, El Bro out, Shout Out time. Shout Out, Shout <laughs> Out. <laughs> if you're new to the show, these are just some of our cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. Yep, so here we go. We're going to get – and, you know, um, everybody, thanks so much. I, the numbers are just flying through the ceiling. Cities joining on, countries joining on, and – we always, always want to be real thankful, and we always want to thank you guys. Um, every one of you that come on and listen, it, it's so cool to see those numbers rising every week. And we learn so much about all of you guys just by going and doing these shout-outs. So we want to keep it personal. We want to keep this happening like this, and here we go. So topping the chart this week. In the 1840s, it was the starting point for pioneers, guys, on the Oregon Trail. And it's the hometown to Harry S. Truman, the 33rd president of the U.S. He was born and raised here in Independence, Missouri. Yeah! <laughs> Missouri in the house, the show me state. Yes, the show sir. Me state. Yeah, we, we've been getting a lot of Missouri, man. We, I That's think we awesome. talked about Missouri boys last week, didn't we? We did, yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Okay, the next shout-out, uh, ranked as the second safest place in the state because this city sits on top of a shield volcano. Its soil is enriched with volcanic ash and perfect for growing the world's best potatoes. Rexburg, Idaho. Idaho potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> the potato farmers are in the house. Yeah. Hey, guys, well, thanks guys, for listening, Idaho. No doubt. Thanks, Idaho. This city's original full name was El Pueblo de Nuestra Señora Reina de Los Angeles sobre el Rio Porciuncula, and now simply known as the City of Angels. 
Los Angeles, California in the house. <laughs> man, I was like, there is no way he's going to get that name, man, all the way through. You cranked it no out, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, man. You know, I, I tell you, when somebody said, uh, yeah, I'm going to go to... By the time, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> by the time they got done with that name, man, that's why people like, Los Angeles, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then LA cut yeah, it down. LA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. cut it down even more to LA. Yeah. I've got right. an uncle and a sister and several several of my family members that live there. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt it, Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking earlier because Gilbert told us what? That he's been everywhere except for like three states, four states. Four, four states? states. Yeah. 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 And you, you and your boy have a goal of actually um going to every baseball venue Stadium, in the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, a right. nice bucket list. Yeah, that's no a cool doubt. bucket list to do there, man. You bet. <clears throat> Along with hunting elk in every state that's got an elk seat. <laughs> it's got elk. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm more in tune to that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If you like s'mores, you can send a thank you card to this city because it was a local businessman that developed the graham cracker, and they were the first to commercially produce marshmallows. So big shout out to Rochester, New York. New York. New York in the house. Yeah. New York, New York in the house. Yeah, Rochester. Thanks, guys. Originally a settlement known in 1753 as the Fourth Creek Congregation, it was home to the North Carolina's colony, Frontier Fort, and now boasts being the home to the only Egyptian mummy in North Carolina. Wow. Statesville, North Carolina, in the house. North Carolina in the house. Yes, sir. Uh, remember, I'm a North Carolina boy. I no. have not seen that mummy. The only Man, mummy I... I saw was in my house. Where'd they get the <laughs> Egyptian mummy into I... North Carolina? They had to get him over from Egypt. Yeah, well, them boys can find anything in North Carolina, let me tell you. I believe, I believe that. Put their, put their mind to it, it's going to happen. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right. Joe, elk season's on us, brother. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, I think we were looking earlier. What Idaho could was starting August first. August first. Yeah, they're out there right now. Yeah. So those guys are basically early season hunting. I mean, they're out there hunting these animals before pre rut. You yep. know, so, Utah starts in two days. A seventeenth, doesn't yep. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I thought yeah, it was the seventeenth. Seventeenth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're looking at about about twelve days 12 or something days, like yep. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those, man, I tell you what, want to wish those guys good luck and um, all of those uh, September guys that are pre-rut, that's going to be a lot of the states. A lot of it, most of everybody out there is going to be starting right around August 31st, September 1st. Um, And in fact, our topic today comes from a letter from Chad Hashin. I don't know if you remember Chad, he sent another one in to us. And uh, he was on some episodes ago with a question that he had. And he sent in a letter that says, I was lucky enough to get drawn for an access permit in Colorado. Limited tags are given for all the archery season for this particular park. I think there was only something like 20 tags. So he's hunting an area that's very limited. He says, can you guys offer any tips or tactics for pre-rut hunting? Are there any certain calls or calling sequences that can get a bull curious or fired up in that early part of September. So uh, basically, Chad, you know, people ask if we change our calling uh, throughout the year. And I'll tell you, we don't. Uh, I basically call the same way throughout the season. Now, uh, a good thing to do at any time is to do things that might light a bull up. If you're talking about lighting one up, what's going to light them up is you got to remember it's when a cow comes in heat, right? So if there's any early cows that have come in heat, they're going to know by the sounds that they're hearing from particular bulls. So whenever you do any of those type of sounds that signify that a cow may be in heat, you can light them up. Last year, Chav and I, it was September 1st? Um, Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, 
Yep, first day of September. Buddy, we are on day one of September 1st. Now, I, I want to tell you, we have talked to a lot of guys that have hunted in our unit. And, in fact, we were just at a shoot day before. It was yesterday. Yesterday. We were right. at a shoot yesterday, shooting 3Ds, and happened to bump into some guys that had been hunting in our unit. And they said, man, those elk just were not talking in that unit, were they? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and no, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the thing is, is you hear that you hear people say they just weren't seeing any elk. The rut was late, buddy. Uh, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to kind of show you some of the things that we did. And, uh, I'm going to use another microphone here and I'm going to try to get that so that you can kind of hear me. And I'm going to bring that up now, and I'm going to turn mine off, and we're going to kind of test that. So, Gilbert, can you still hear me there using that? Yes, sir. Phone? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. I can hear you. So, some of the things, some of the things, the strategies that we use when we are, when we're hunting, man, we're out in the morning, and here's what my morning sounds like. Right, Gilbert? Absolutely. With me enough, right? You know, you, I might throw in a little. <laughs> and throw those calls in different directions. Just basic cow calls. When you hear a cow calls, they're just. <laughs> those are just communicating cow calls. When they start to draw it out a little bit. Get you that raspy tone of, in them. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, when you get that, that. Yeah. That's that more of a, an, what people tend to call an estrus call, but that's more of a buzz contact call. Yep. Um, you can actually get real insistent with that. Uh, I don't start to throw that in until a little bit later. I just use those basic ones that you heard. And yeah. Here's what happened. September 1st, I'm cow calling like that. And we get this. Now, let me tell you what. You get that call coming back. <laughs> get your stuff ready, boys. Somebody is ready to rock. Yep. And we had that scream come back. And as soon as he did that, and I looked at Chav, and Chav looked at me, I, I threw out a cow call again. He comes back with that. And before he can even finish, <laughs> I come right back with a scream. I mean, cutting that puppy off. And... Man, he comes right back after that. So what has happened in this whole scenario, and it's a scenario that sometimes, I'm going to switch mics back over for you guys. Sure. What's happening in that scenario is that we cow call, and this bull, for whatever reason, believes that there's a hot cow. And... I don't, and, and we do know now he had a lot of bulls around him because this is the same group that uh, I end up bringing this guy in and not 45 minutes. Like, well, we had, it was an epic morning. So we'll talk sure. about that here. So I get that scream. And the first thing that it tells me is, man, we got a bull that is, he's, he's ready to fight. That bull yeah. thinks there's a hot cow over here. And he is displaying by screaming like that, that challenge bugle. And he's challenging because we didn't know it at the time, but he had other bulls around him. So now, here's what my strategy was when I got a bull to commit like that, Chad. As soon as I hear it, you heard how I came right over top of him. Well, the first thing I do is I signal for Chad, get in position. And when I signal Chad to get in position, he knows automatically he's moving up. Now, if you're by yourself, this is a little different, but I'm going to tell you the two scenarios. The first thing Chab does is he goes forward 30 yards and then he goes downwind 
probably 20 yards because he thinks that, and he knows that bull is going to try to circle us and he, and he's going to circle because he wants to scent check. Right. Right. Exactly. So Chab starts moving up and tell us what you saw there at the point. Well, you know, I saw some movement about uh, 400 yards up ahead. I could see some horns through the trees. And then all of a sudden, it's like it's not just one bull. There's seven bulls. Right. right. And, uh, you know, three pretty much stay put or four pretty much stay put. And then three start to circle big arc uh, going to my right, you know, downwind. And uh, that was the first encounter. I had a pretty close encounter, but they sent in me and kind of took off. But the other, the other four were still there right, in that same area. And so what I do is with that bull screaming off to the side, and I don't think you saw him yet, right? No, uh, but at one point I saw a huge <laughs> antler. You know, it was like, wow, there's a big one in there. You know, they were all decent. Right. You know, they're all Those shooters, bulls. very good bulls. So that's the reason when they, when they heard this cow and there was multiple bulls there, they started actually, and one, this guy just cranked one out challenge bugle and you know it's like hey i am the dominant bull you know and he was ready so with chav moved in position i had moved back and i used my number one call i start raking a raking tree. a tree yep and man he is going berserk and all of a sudden i can hear him circling to a point that he's actually going to loop around because he's trying to loop to me and i think he's going to be out of chav's shot range so my job as the caller is is to steer that bull so the first thing i do is i start hauling and circling in the other direction so if you could picture that the bull is circling when i'm here so i actually just do the same thing just like on a record i start circling around the other way to call to get him to cut his circle coming more towards my shooter Okay, so I kind of try to steer him and pull him around. So I take off and I go up a ridge and I do a rake. I do a, uh, some cow calls and I, I do out a bugle, a display bugle. And man, rah, he comes right back to me. Okay, yep. so I'm like, man, okay, I can hear that he's now coming in the direction he needs to to come by my shooter. Now, I'm going to step back, Chad. What if you're by yourself in that whole scenario where we went back, where I, I pointed to Chab to go forward. What you do in that case is you immediately from the last place that you call go up 30 yards and 20 yards downwind. Okay. Because that bull has pegged where that last call was from. All right. Not where you're at. So you're going to put yourself in a better shooting position so that if a bull does ever hang up, you're actually closer than what they know you are. Okay. Now, what happens if, same scenario, that bull seems to be circling enough not to be getting in and is getting down to your downwind side? That's when you take that flexible tube and you simply take that tube, point it in the direction away in the direction you want that bull to turn so that he is no longer getting to your downwind. And you're going to give him just a couple of cow calls. That's all you That's need. All it takes, yep. And let him get his head up, turn, and start walking in that direction. But you're throwing the call behind you in the direction that you want the animal to go. Okay? That's how you're going to get that animal to come by you as the shooter, all right? You're no longer that two-person scenario. So what happens in this deal is, basically, I find out that this bull is really, really getting aggressive with the rake, okay? So here's what a raking tree means. When he hears a bull raking a tree, he knows that that bull is displaying for a cow, mm -hmm. and he knows that there's, that there's a cow there, he wants a scent check to see if there's a hot cow. And so he is going berserk. All I had to do was keep raking the tree. Didn't have to do anything else. So I rake, rake, rake. He goes nuts. That was round two of the raking. I rake a third time, and I can tell he's coming by Chav. I hear him. I cannot see Chav, but I haven't gotten a signal from Chav of any kind, any verbal signal. 
Um, he hasn't given me any other kind of noise to let me know that I need to move or that he's moving. So we're letting that happen. I'm getting ready for rake number four. Well, unbeknownst to me, when uh, I raked the tree the second time, you've got the bull in front of you. Right, yeah. He's, he's uh, well, you know, even backtracking just a little bit, um, he's, he gave off a bugle and you cut him off. I don't know if you remember right, that. Right, right. I screamed at and cut him off, right. And when that happened, the bull just turned around and just beat up this bush to smithereens. <laughs> and then he started trotting. And I was, I was still in the position where I was looking at the elk that were, had come around me. So I was slowly turning around, and he ran by me about 30, 35 yards. So, you know, and he's going towards you. So I didn't have an opportunity for a shot, but uh, – and, and what's, what's funny about that whole thing is, in my mind, I've already set my bow down by my feet because I'm raking a tree with both hands with that stick, sure. right? So I've set my bow on the ground, and in my mind, I'm going, I'm not going to get a shot at this guy. I'm not, even, I'm not even thinking about it because, in my mind, if he continues to circle and gets to the downwind side of Chav, well, it's all going to be blown up, right? Yeah. Well. Yeah, it was a perfect scenario. You know, if, if I would have been uh, a little bit more alert and had uh, actually turned my body, uh, you know, and get in a better position, I would have had a, a 35-yard shot. Yeah. And what happens, though, is because I did keep circling around, I got that bull to turn, and instead of walking on the downwind side of chap, he walked on the upwind that side. Yeah. So here I am <laughs> getting ready to go rake the tree again, and I catch movement, and then there's that bull. And that bull is looking up the hill. Now, guys, listen close to this. This bull is feeding towards me. He's already heard that raking. He has it pinpointed. And he's working up that hill. A lot of times, especially us callers, we're tempted to throw out a cow call to keep that bull coming mm -hmm. up. Once you throw out a cow call, understand that most of the time they're going to pinpoint you, okay? So with that bull working up towards me, I did not make a noise, and he kept coming, and he mm -hmm. kept looking. So as he comes up, the perfect storm hit. He went behind a group of brush that, you know, I, in two steps, I had two of his steps that I had the opportunity to draw before he came out. I draw, he steps out. I never had to make a noise because he walks by broadside, he stops. And when he stops, he's got so many trees, he actually stops with a kill. It looks like his kill is covered because there's so many trees that are breaking up his body. It looked like a puzzle, like an elk puzzle. And <clears throat> he starts screaming a bugle, and when he does, he starts bouncing and, and you know, urinating at the same time. And when I saw that, when I saw the part of the body that was urinating, I knew exactly the other part of the body that I saw. It was nothing but kill area. And at 18 yards, um, man, that happened. I drew back, let go, and the rest was history, you know. But the whole funny thing about this story is it was not over. No. Nope. Because <laughs> when Chav and I come together, because of that bull bugling there and urinating, and the raking I had done, I meet Chav right down at the bottom of the hill from where this bull is, and, and I'm telling him the story. And he's looking at me from this way, and I'm facing him, and all of a sudden, a bull comes hauling down the hill and puts on the brakes. Right. Right? <laughs> and and uh, Chav gets an arrow. I mean, right behind him, I'm, I'm actually telling him, bull, 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 as I see the bull coming down the hill. Chav gets a chance to get an arrow on. The bull stops, and he's not 18 yards away. Yeah, he's close, yeah. And Chav draws, and he's so focused on the kill, he lets go. And a beautiful two-inch sapling. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I mean, dead center. He, I, <laughs> he killed that sapling yeah. beautifully, man. Yeah, for a second, you could visualize the elk with the sapling through the kill zone and the arrow sticking there. And, it, and, wow. and you look at it and go, oh, perfect shot. Yeah. Except. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, 
Yeah. So when he does that, I start laughing, man. I'm I'm rolling right now, and and uh, and we're laughing again. And here comes another bull. Oh, nice, nice, big <laughs> one. A big six man comes in, twelve yards, stops and looks at us, and we're sitting there like you know. <laughs> and all we could do was enjoy the moment start i i picked up a, a pine cone and threw it at it right. <laughs> we just started laughing and it was just it was unbelievable yeah, i mean crazy morning and and that one bull that he shot at went up on the hill i brought him back three more times oh wow just could not get the clear shot before the sun and that's why this other one came running in because we're laughing about it was just it was comedy we were having so right. much fun and uh so we had seen where my bull went down and i said all right we know where he's down Let's head out of here. Let's make sure he has time to die. Let's go get the four-wheeler, and we'll come back. Well, as we're walking, we're going down the road, and this is uh, after everything. It's probably about 45 minutes later from when I first shot my bull. And we're going down, and I cow call and look up, and there's a bull coming down the side of the hill. Chab drops down, gets an arrow on. This bull comes down through the trees. And I mean, is is jogging down through the trees, and when he hits the opening, Chab's already a full draw. When he hits the opening, and this bull puts on the brakes and looks. Yep, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Say la vie. Say la vie, man. In opening day, Chad. Opening day, September first. Two bulls down, in forty-five minutes. We, we had animals uh, worked and, and packed and uh, back at camp before noon on opening day. So, you know, that was a great experience where you hit something where mm-hmm. those bachelor groups were together and really starting to feel it and, uh, and they were ready to rock. You know, what I tell you is for this early season, man, that's all you have to do. You work through, you do some calling. Uh, I always start with cow calls. I always cow call without my grunt tube. Grunt tube and yeah. then, you know, once I have realized nothing is close, now you're going to cow, cow call through your grunt tube and send it out. And sometimes you're going to hear what sounds like a cow call coming back. And, you know, Gilbert, you told that story about those seven bulls that showed up on you yep. guys, right? Mm-hmm. And you yep. said they never made a sound. The first thing you heard was some cow calls, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling you heard the bulls. Because well, it may have been. It may have been, but I know there was a bigger herd. Further to down. The north, to the north of them, there were cows and spikes and stuff like that moving around. And I thought maybe that's what we heard, but you're right. I, it sure could have been some of those bulls mewing. You know. Th- there you go. Because, <clears throat> um, man, I don't know how many mornings we've gone out and I've cow called over an area and you yep. get a yeah coming mm-hmm. back yep. and it's actually bulls responding. And, and I killed a beautiful bull in a little hidden park one year that in the dark, they were answering me with nothing but mews. Wow. Bull mews. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I, I would think it, especially early that could really happen, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, that's a great tip, Chad. I mean, don't, don't, uh, don't just assume that's a cow answering you. It could be a bull. Right. And these guys came in and well, I did the same thing. I, I threw a mew back behind me and they came in just like three boys out on a romp, man. And uh, <laughs> playing with each other, bouncing around and having fun. This mm-hmm. bull comes up and in front of me and starts bucking and and jumping like right. a, a doggone rodeo bull, man. <laughs> and so I'm drawing, and he never sees it because he's carrying on, and he's only 20 yards in front of me. I cow call, yeah, he stops, <laughs> and it's it's done. Right. You know? right. So, uh, yeah, you know, when you hear those, you know, think about that. But all you need is you just need those cow calls. Remember to do a location bugle. If you do get a bull that is fired up, and he comes back screaming the way I had showed you that one had done before, man, if he's fired up like that, you just cut him off, just crack him right back, smack him in the face, man. Tell him, hey, you're not the bad dude I am. But if he just location bugles you, that's a different story. 
Now you got to kind of take the temperature like we talked about in our last, our last uh, podcast there. Okay. So those are some of the tactics that, that I'd, I'd give to you. And, and Gilbert, I don't know if I, I mean, you've been, you guys have been with me so many times. Is, is anything I missed or, you know? No, I, I think that's perfect. Uh, I think what he needs to be looking for, you know, definitely the cows where they're going to be at. And then I think everything will follow after that. And I've said this a thousand times, those cows are slaves to their bellies. Um, if you're in an area that's going to have oak brush and acorns and stuff like that, it's a perfect place to start. Um, I, you know, guy, it looks like Chad's going to have a great time. So we wish you all the best, Chad. Um, you betcha. You guys in Idaho that are hunting, we're expecting to have some pictures early <laughs> Uh, you guys knocking them <laughs> down. So we'll, uh, we'd love to have them here on the show and display them for everybody to see and talk about. So you guys in Idaho that are already uh, chasing bulls, we definitely want to see, uh, giving kind of Idaho the, the laying down the gauntlet. Let's see how many bull pictures we can get from Idaho. Yeah, and, and you guys, man, all of you guys out there hunting this year, uh, you know we have our elkrose.com page, and we would love to put a gallery up of you guys that and uh, what you've taken. So if you send us a, a picture to info at elkrose.com, uh, if you send us a little story, we'll put that on there as well. You don't want to do that, just send the pic, man, and we'll, we'll put it on the website for you guys to check out so you can, uh, you know, have some bragging rights, all right? right. So uh, up next – we kept getting and we've gotten a lot of questions on decoys. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Had some not? great experiences with decoys. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I mean, we got questions like, do you use decoys? Are decoys effective? Do they work? What's the best time of year to use decoys? What decoys do you recommend? Strategies for using decoys. And uh, I'll just tell you, uh, Yes, we use decoys. Do we use them all the time? No. Do I have one with me? Always. And uh, I, I think uh, Gilbert always puts it best. Gilbert has a saying that uh, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Amen. And I think the reason that a lot of guys don't have their decoys is, uh, is that sometimes they don't want to deal with packing it in their pack and then taking it out or carrying it. And if you go to our elkbros.com site, I, I put a little video that shows you an easy, easy way to carry your decoy so it's really accessible. And um, we use them with multiple people. Uh, I think that's the best way to go. I think a two-caller scenario is really good. Uh, so let's say, do we use decoys? Yes. Are decoys effective? Gilbert? Yeah, at 100%, absolutely, yes. <laughs> I'm a fan, Joe, yes. <laughs> but one thing um, we're going to tell you is if you use a decoy and it doesn't have a blackout on the back of it, in other words, something that doesn't let sunlight come through it, <laughs> make sure you, you are not behind that decoy with the sun behind you because it Oof. doesn't work very well. <laughs> Well, it works, but they figure it out real quick, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they are effective. Um, yep. I think uh, uh, another great story, uh, you know, Gilbert and, and us have a, a story that we've told in the past that about a successful hunt with that, where we actually set up the decoy way past um, where we knew the animals were coming from to where we set up to get them to actually come by us. So we gave the sounds like elk in an area so that when a bull came in, he had something to see and he ended up walking past us to give us that shot. Uh, when I do it with a two on, uh, with a two hunter setup, again, uh, I could have done it with that setup with chap. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't choose to do it because of the viewing decoys work best in areas where there's really good vision mm -hmm. if it's a thick area um I, i'll tell you about a decoy you can use in that situation but for like if you're using a uh and okay so what decoys do you recommend uh we use a montana um decoy i, I like the profile decoy some people like that uh, uh the butt uh on that uh part of it there's one that's just a, a front on but uh, we use the, the side, the full side decoy. Uh, 
I don't know. There's just something bothers me walking around with a butt. I don't know. Just, <laughs> <laughs> They're quite butt. Yeah, I just uh, and it's probably really effective. In fact, you know, uh, uh, Michael Batiste, the buddy of mine, talks about using that one, and it's effective. He says because bulls will always want to walk around and make eye contact that's the whole purpose of that butt decoy uh -huh. is to get them to come around you because they want to make eye contact with that mm -hmm. cow uh -huh. um so that's something for you to think about uh myself i i don't use that one i i don't know i just <laughs> i just don't <laughs> i like the one we use joe and uh the other one that i have purchased and gilbert i i want all the guys to look into getting this because uh it's the ultimate predator uh decoy mm -hmm. and what i love about the ultimate predator decoy um it's now in my arsenal uh it will be being used at elk camp is that it mounts on the front of your bow mm -hmm. with a shoot through window in it and What's so awesome about that is, is there's times when a bull does come around, is expecting to see something, and you can have that ultimate predator, and when he sees that cow, now he's again, you know, he's kind of looking at that cow, and he wants to scent check, so he's going to start circling, and it gives you a great shot opportunity. Yeah. It also covers your draw. Uh, I've seen plenty of videos where these guys are actually able to draw uh, with that bull watching them hmm. and it covers your draw. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's pretty doggone cool. The, the good thing about it is, is you don't even have to use it on your bow. You can have somebody that uses it, use the handles with it just like that, or mm -hmm. you can wrap it on a tree behind you if you're by yourself. Right. Okay. So there's things that you can do with that to make that very effective. The Montana, uh, I like to hold in a two-person system. I don't like to carry the stakes. They're heavy. They take time to set up. If I'm not able to do it with a two-person or if we're doing a setup like we did and we have plenty of time ahead of time, then I will yeah. use the stakes like that, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And w we saw what effect it had on that bull, right? It was crazy, man. He didn't even – had no clue that we were there. He was more focused on that cow decoy. And, uh, I mean – you couldn't have drew it up any better. It was, uh, <laughs> it, it, he read the script and did it, you know, uh, it was perfect. He got, I had it, a, one, he got it one take. I <laughs> had a, another hunter that, um, I had down in front of me. Uh, I put him down a good 80 yards. Bull came over the rise downhill and the bulls do not like to go uphill y'all. Yeah. They don't like to do that. It puts them at a disadvantage. When he came up that over that rise and looked up, Instead of showing him the whole decoy, I just put the back end from behind a pine tree, stuck it out. And then when doing that, when he saw that and saw that movement, he started screaming, bugle, walking straight up the hill, walked by my hunter at 10 yards. Wow. And it was over. Yeah. So, real, real effective. Real effective. Especially in those open areas. You know, I, I can remember when we first started hunting, uh, we came into a, a pretty open area, and this big bull had bleached horns. I don't know if you remember right, that right, one. Right. He kept coming up to a certain point, and uh, you know he'd stop and look around and turn around and walk back, and right. Joe would bugle or cow call, and he'd come right back to that same spot. He wasn't going beyond that point because he knew he had to have seen something. You know, He had pinpointed that call. And it wasn't in his line of vision. Now, if we would have had a decoy, he would have gone all the way straight through. Right. And had I known then, guys, what I know <laughs> now, here's an important uh, lesson for you. I think you lost our video there, huh? Here's an important lesson for you. When a bull does that, when he comes to a certain point and he goes back, and then he comes back to that certain point, if when he turns to go away again, shut up move all the way up yeah. to that point. Yeah, keep, keep keep cutting the distance. Yeah, close that gap. Yeah. yeah, go up to that point, throw the call back behind you because yeah. that bull now knows he's safe to that point. He will come back and he'll give you a shot opportunity. And yeah. that's occurred uh, several times. Yes. Remember that one bull in the, in the ravine? He'd go to the edge of the ravine and look, turn around and walk away. Cow call, he'd come right back again. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. How many times do we call those bulls back uh, this past year, Chav? I mean, they left, came back, left, came back. Yeah. I mean, and then they even got downwind of us. And I'm telling you, we, we're just waiting for the explosion to happen, right? When you got seven, eight bulls like that around you. And I mean, we had two of them within 12 feet of us. And, and I'm like this bigger bulls skirting around the bottom of us to get our wind. And I'm like, at any second, it's going to blow up. And he kind of did wind us a little bit, but he really didn't booger all that bad. And when they kind of boogered together, that's when I just kind of threw a cow call way behind me with my bugle tube and, man, that settled them all down. And they all right. came right back. Right. I mean, they were like, man, I heard that. But let's go find – if we'd have had a decoy maybe sitting out there and they saw it, that would that would have really maybe had our scenario happen faster. Because, I mean, sure. it was a 40, 45-minute deal, us moving and us talking to those bulls and them talking back and them getting right up on us. And it was very stressful. I can tell you that, <laughs> you know, having all of them that close and you can't, you know, you, the, they're very, very uh, wary animals right? Uh, and curious at the same time, but very wary. And if anything doesn't look right, uh, they usually bug out on you. Well, so. they expect when, when you're cow calling and they yeah. come in and they're, they and it's, and it's an area they can see, they expect mm-hmm. to see a cow when That's they right. don't something's wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that bothers them. So they just, and then if you can give them some affirmation, mm-hmm. you know, that helps. Now the decoys that we recommend, I talked to Montana, yep. the Montana decoys are good. Everybody knows about the Montana ultimate predator is now the one that's going to be in my arsenal this year. It's going to be on the front of my bow. And uh, another one is uh, that I've seen is that butthead decoy that's out there. And, you know, that's kind of 3D up on the top. So that's got to do something for it, too. When, when, and it's mm-hmm. kind of along the same idea as that uh, Ultimate Predator, but it has a 3D face on the front of it. I have not used that one, but to me, um, that sets a tone anytime you give something that makes it a little bit more realistic. And okay. in fact, I will tell you, if you have a decoy um, and you can buy the, the little decoy eyes to, to put on them, put them on there because just that little bit of shine on those eyes is something yep. again that that changes that also uh if you can move an ear uh mm-hmm. whatever decoy that you have if you can get up there and you just kind of flick that ear a little bit that gives it that sense of realism that will make that bull come on in so uh the ultimate predator that's the one you strap in front of your bow right because right. we got some good feedback on uh the ultimate predator uh, decoy for the uh, antelope hunt. Oh my gosh, what, I, buddy! If you want to see something, go to Ultimate <clears throat> Predator site and watch the the stalks on antelope. I mean, these guys are walking in on antelope, and you know, with that decoy on the front of their bow and getting twenty yard shots. Wow! And the coolest thing I saw was uh, a young man in that uh, has a disability is in a wheelchair. It gave him the opportunity to put that decoy on the front of his wheelchair and get close enough to be able to shoot an antelope, I believe, with a crossbow, crossbow on yeah. there. Oh, wow. And, I mean, how cool was that, that it, it gave that kid that opportunity to experience that hunt that way. So um, that, was, that was a big plus uh, as far as I was concerned. Um, so if you want to see how to carry a decoy, uh, go check out our elkbros.com website and look at, uh, some of our vids that, that we show things and I show you exactly how to do that. So I think that pretty much covers that part of it there. So guys, let's, let's go to our mailbox and, uh, and answer those questions that we have down there. Yeah. Fantastic questions, uh, that we've had the past few weeks. You guys keep doing that. Keep sending your questions to uh, info at elkbros.com, and we'll keep knocking them out for you guys. Uh, uh, I've always said the only dumb question is one we hadn't had and uh, or hasn't been asked, and I'm telling you, these are all great questions that keep coming up. And, I, and I'd appreciate it if you guys are listening right now. That means uh, you're listening to our podcast, or if you're watching it on YouTube, do me a favor. Go right down and hit subscribe. Yes. Uh, Subscribe to us, please. We'd love to have that happen. And if you want to rate us, if you want to review us, you you have to either be on the uh, five stars. Yeah, five (laughs) stars. Got to be on that iTunes uh, uh, 
you either have to be in iTunes on a computer or you have to be in that Apple Podcast app to be able to leave us a review, okay? Absolutely. So go ahead and do that. So on our mailbox, uh, I was really, uh, I had a chance to call and talk to Seth. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome phone call. Great guy, Seth McPherson. And with the name McPherson, man. That's got to be Bo. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be Bo. Um, he's from Kentucky. And uh, his letter was, I have never been able to go on an elk hunt, but drew a bull cow archery tag in my home state of Kentucky for this fall. Man, First of awesome. all. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no doubt. It's like draw, hitting the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's what 400 tags and yep. 70,000 applicants or something like wow. that for, for that so and he says I have decided to do a DIY hunt on public ground and his question is will the elk act differently that's his first question and his second question was what type of diaphragm would you recommend and what calls should I learn any advice or other tips uh, would be appreciated. So, <clears throat> and he's hunting prime time, prime time September, and wow. and you know, uh, uh, on a couple episodes again ago, I had uh, uh, Trevin Stolfus on on uh, our Insights Edition, and Trevin has had the the opportunity to actually go down and guide and hunt down on that Kentucky hunt. I think he's hunted once. I might be wrong. Uh, he'll correct me, I'm sure. But uh, I know he's guided guys down there twice on that hunt. So he's already experienced this, and that's why I gave Seth a call. And, uh, you know, your first question, will the elk act differently? And the answer to that question is, no matter where you are, no matter where you are, elk are elk. You know, um, they That's still, right. they still rut. They still call. They're social animals. They're herd animals. Uh, the bulls are going to fight. The cows are going to call. So they're not going to act any differently. Now, what happens though is, you know, you always hear people talking about high mountain areas, uh, and so you hear about animals going up on top of the mountain in the, in the, you know in the morning and coming down in the evening. So your terrain and what type of terrain and where those animals go might be a little bit different. You know, they might be looking for someplace that's cooler down in a holler someplace. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they might, uh, they might still be going up and I'm not sure what that terrain looks like. And now I can tell you one thing, I'm an East coast boy and I know it's thicker than heck over there. And here's the one thing that that I did get out of Trevin that uh, that Seth and other people might be interested in. You know, uh, Gilbert and Chab, what uh, Trevin said is a lot a lot like what we experience here. Mm -hmm. He said that when those bulls do get boogered, he said they don't head over to the next county because it's so thick. Yeah. They go in. 200, 400 yards away, and if you leave them alone, they're going to settle down, and you can get back on them. Now, if you keep pushing them, yeah, mm -hmm. you're going to push them and push them, but because of the thickness and because of the area, they don't haul out of the country. They're going to head about 400 yards, you know, and it's the same thing that we have seen with elk that we've boogered. When they take off running, they go so far, they settle down, and they go back the way they want to, circling around the problem or the issue. Sure. You know, because they want to go to their bed. They want to go to their water. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's the only thing that basically in, in their behavior, uh, how they act. Now, the great thing about where Seth's hunting is because it is so thick, Man, when he gets a shot, it's going to be up close and personal. Yeah, no doubt. Um, most of that country that I've seen is pretty uh, hilly. You know, I wouldn't call it mountainous, but right. pretty hilly, and a lot of draws, a lot of hollers, uh, stuff like that. And I would think that on the, on the episodes I've seen out of Kentucky, uh, there's some parks and uh, beautiful fields and stuff like that for those uh, bulls to come out in and uh, pinch points. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to, 
you know, if he can do a little bit of preseason scouting and understanding where the water sources are there. Uh, don't know if it's been a real wet summer um, in Kentucky, but, you know, again, the elk are slaves to their bellies and they got to have water. So um, those are some things that might help uh, Seth out. I don't think they're going to act any different than Rocky Mountain elk in the, in the, in the mountains where we hunt them as far as how they rut and stuff like that. They're still going to be callable. Uh, he's going to have an awesome time. They're going to start talking. Um, and, you know, some real simple cow calls is really what he needs to, to master. And it's, it's not easy. You know, a lot of guys want to use a diaphragm and it can take some time. So if he's not been using one right now, that can be a source of, uh, of, uh, I wouldn't say a problem, but it can be something that, you know, an elk knows real quick if you're the real deal or you're not. Right. Well, the nice thing though, about these guys is they don't get called out a lot and, you know, and it's not thousands of guys out there. So, um, they're, they're not that educated, I guess is the word, uh, to put out there. And which diaphragm would you recommend him trying to use Joe? Cause there's some out there that are difficult. Yeah, there are some that are difficult and, uh, but you know, I tell you the, for years, I I've always used Primo's black or white and, um, Me too. I, It'll do. but I know how to tune them. Right. And you do have to do some tuning with them. You know, you have to do some work on them and get them right. You know, um, I think you use the black, right? I do use the black quite a bit, use the white some to bugle with. But mm-hmm. um, one of the ones that I started using here er, just the past few months is a Elk 101 call. Right. Uh, and it's it's real bright orange. Right. And uh, I still had to trim it a little bit. But I'm going to tell you right now, right out of the box, whew, yes, it is nasally and it sounds, it cuts a little bit. I mean, pretty solid call. So – uh, in fact, I was just getting ready to say, you know, the, um, those calls, uh, those Corey Jacobson calls, he, he's yep. got three in a set, yep. got the contender. He's got the green, got the red there or, or fluorescent orange, whatever you mm-hmm. want to, I really like that one because you drop it on the ground, you're going to find it, you know, yes. but, um, I will tell you that straight out of the box, you're going to get the best cow call ever, uh, out of these. Now these are made by Rocky mountain. Yeah. calls his his dad uh makes these calls and so all of those there's so many of those rocky mountain series you got the chapel series you got uh the elk 101 series you got different ones there they're fantastic elk calls yeah. um i i have also been uh using and and i think it's one of my favorite calls now but i'm more of an experienced caller but uh uh the native by carlton yeah. You know, uh, I have a set of those and the 450 is just, I mean, man, I, I think I fell in love with it. Right. Um, I, I think that the difference though is uh, for somebody, you know, when you take a look at it, um, the native by Carlton uh, is a slightly wider call mm-hmm. um, where the 101 series is probably one that would fit just about everybody. Uh, the, for the experienced callers though, this, uh, this 450 for me is going to be one of my mainstays, the, the, the bugles that I can do and the cow calls with it as well. It's a, it's a, it's a two read and I've never been one to really use a two read until this call. I know they have the, the one and a half as well, but this one, uh, the way the, the reads are, um, the diaphragm latex one's further up and one's further back. So they're not right on top of each other and really lets me do some things with it that I want to do. So I, I really like that. But for a beginner coming out, man, I tell you what, it's hard to beat these. Um, uh, and I, I still am a Primo's fan, man. I'm going to always have Primo's with, with me, yeah. but you, you got to learn how to, you got to learn how to tune those, right? Yeah, no doubt. I, I got I pulled up another call here that I'm going to show on the screen that I've been using too, and it's very easy. You put it, you just pinch it in your lips, and you bite down on it. It's a call from uh, the Bone Collector section. It's called uh, the Booty Call Elk Call, and it's really it makes great tone, great sounds, 
real nasally and it's not hard at all to make a cow chirp. So it's it. an external call, right? Yeah. It's this one right here, guys. So you can see it's called the booty call and uh-huh. uh, it is an external, you has a lanyard. You just bite down on it and I can even make a bugle with it. It's not hard to do. Okay. Um, so real good call from flex tone. Yeah. And I mean, and Chav carried around a hoochie mama for years. So Look, I, I was in my mule yesterday working on our deer lease and uh, was cleaning out some stuff. And there was a big hoochie mama sitting in there and I'm yeah, yeah, And I'm like, God, you can't beat that. I mean, it's just yeah. so repetitive, you know, there's been a yeah. lot of bulls killed with the hoochie mama. I, I like if, if I have a hoochie mama, I like for it to be used in conjunction with the diaphragm just to sound right. like, there's, right. like there's more. Yeah, uh, okay. uh, Chav and I have used it for years, you know, how, uh, me using a diaphragm and him using the hoochie mama. And it how works well did good. that respond for you? That was pretty, pretty good. Right. You know, I can remember calling for you one, just one time <laughs> with a hoochie mama and it, and it came right up, you know, came up a hill towards us. Yep. You know, didn't give you a good shot, but, uh, you know, it's effective. Right. Very effective. So there you go, man. Um, Seth. Seth, but, knock uh, them down. Brother wants some pictures now. Yeah. No doubt. And, you know, uh, for, for a guy for his very first elk hunt to be in his home state of Kentucky Lord and not have Lord. to travel out. Oh my gosh. That's just no so doubt. cool. Uh, next question is from Larry Gill out of Oklahoma. Larry Gill is actually somebody we know uh, and a real good guy. And, uh, um, and uh, Larry Gill is, uh, has heard us and is going to be using Onyx and, he, but he had a question, and this is such a good question because I hear this from everybody. When you start talking about the fact that Onyx is on a cell phone, the first question you get from everybody is, but I don't get data in the mountains, right? Or the first statement right. you get is, I don't right. get data in the mountains. You do not need a cell connection to use Onyx on your cell phone. It uses the GPS function. And it works beautifully. It's amazing. Joe, do you have to turn anything off in your settings or turn on something in your settings to make sure it works? So here's here's what you do, guys. If you're going to, and, and I recommend everybody to do this, whether you can get data or not where you're at, I recommend for you to uh, download the offline maps on of the area that you're going to be hunting onto your cell phone. Uh, you go into Onyx on, on there and you can, on the uh, app on your computer, you can pick the areas that you're going to be, download those offline maps right onto your cell phone. And then what I do is I turn, I put my phone in airplane mode because you don't want it looking for data. You don't want it looking for Wi-Fi. By doing that, I save my battery and my battery is going to go forever. Whereas if you keep your data and your Wi-Fi and, and uh, your Bluetooth on and all that stuff, it's always looking for something and it takes that battery down. So uh, download the offline maps, have them on there. And what's cool about that too is I find that if you do get data and you go to an area, Sometimes when it's trying to pull the map off of that cell data, it kind of slows things down. If you go with the offline map, man, things are quick. Things are really fast. And, I mean, the waypoints now, guys, that you can mark, uh, they have so many different waypoints. You can mark specific waypoints for feed, for ATV, for camp, for a bull, for a cow, for a fox, a bear, whatever. Right. They, they have all these different waypoints to put down. You can actually have it track yourself so that if you're going in a direction and you're wanting to get back the same way, you can have it track you and you can follow that track all the way back out. No, So, Larry, it's a great question because I hear it from everybody and anybody that I introduce to Onyx. They're used to a GPS, you know, having to get a satellite connection. And the phone is amazing. It, That's I, right. It, it's amazing. So the last question, Gilbert, was aimed at you. <clears throat> right. From, it's from Andrew Walla over at San Antonio, Texas. And Andrew says, Gilbert, we're coming to, from San Antonio, Texas, and hunting at 11,500 feet. 
oh my gosh. Uh, we are curious of how high our bows will be shooting at elk camp and if we will need new sight tapes. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I would assume that when they're talking about new sight tapes, those guys are one-pin shooters, so they use a dial system. Um, yes, your bow is going to shoot different at altitude. Um, so I, I tell everybody you shoot at home all you want and everything, but it's really mandatory for you to get back, get to camp and shoot your bow. It's not going to be a tremendous difference, but usually we're going to shoot higher. Like I can usually shoot my 20 yard pin out to 30 yards. Right. So that's a, that's something that people don't understand. But I tell you, Andrew, one of the things that really helped me, uh, and I learned this lesson from off of some failures, uh, is understanding at 11,500 feet, I would assume that you guys are going to be vertically challenged a lot going up and down, right? So when we're shooting, a lot of times we'll be shooting at a steep angle up or down. That makes a tremendous difference on what pin you use. Uh, traditionally, if you're shooting straight down, you could use your 20-yard pin to shoot 35 or 40 yards, depending on your bow poundage and stuff like that. Uh, I shoot a, a real heavy bow, long draw, 30, 31-inch uh, draw, and, you know, 70-plus pounds. And so we don't have a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of arc in our shot. Um, depending on what bow you shoot, I would definitely shoot down, shoot up when you're there if you didn't get the opportunity because those are the things that are going to really make a difference for you. As far as when you get into camp, Man, make sure you shoot your bow at, at distance, too. You know, you want to shoot it. You know, we start a lot of times 60, 70 yards out and work our way back in. But you're going to want to shoot it and before you go out in the field. Uh, if you don't, you just you could be asking, your, you know, for a little bit of heartache if you got to use it the first day. Um, and, we, man, we shoot a lot of uh, – uh, uh, just regular uh, target shooting, and then we shoot from our knees. I mean, we, we – practice almost everything in camp right joe mm -hmm. and the other thing i do too is uh, carry a judo point and yes. uh, do a lot of stump shooting while you're out there and, yeah. and that to me is aces man because you know uh you get to pull a bow back you get to shoot in that you know uh where you're at up mm -hmm. down all around man and and you your, your mind checks everything when you do that. So that judo point is one of the most important arrows on my boat. I'm instinctive shooter. So I like to shoot every opportunity I get when I'm out in the field. And, you know, uh, so that judo point is huge for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, anybody carrying a bow going from low up to high, a lot of things can happen. And Chav said last time your bow can get bumped always you know shoot your bow at camp man and, and we shoot every day out. because yeah. you know that was that's a great point chab you know as we're going through the the brush and and drop you know we fall down mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff can happen and hit your sight and stuff like that so you just never know uh i'll knock my sight off uh you know i fell one time up there where we were hunting and it landed on some some rocks and it, it was not a lot but it was enough to where you know i'd come back to camp and I shot it and it's three or four inches right. And I'm, you know, I don't like that. So right. um, at the end of the day, we shoot every day in camp just to make sure our bows are right where we want it. I shoot, and I don't shoot field tips. I shoot uh, the broadheads I'm on hunt with. I shoot them. Uh, you know, I've got a set that I use to practice with and a set that I use to hunt with. Well, so, I don't know if it's, if it's the altitude or the air has something to do with, the flex of the arrow or what but i've even seen guys that come to altitude and they're shooting a little bit to a different side yeah and yeah. Uh, and and might just be that air with uh with the flex on that arrow i have no idea because you know a stiff arrow and a, a you know uh will, will shoot differently than one that's got a little flex to it yeah you know you're using a projectile no no different than from a rifle and i can't tell you you know i've been all over the country hunting uh, if we shot a rifle in here in Houston and we take it to New Mexico, it's not going to be the same. Uh, right. You know, uh, been able to hunt in some real nice ranches in New Mexico and Colorado and with rifles and they, you know, they're different. So you got to shoot them when you get there. Most ranches will make you shoot them uh, and you'd want to. So the same thing with a bow. I mean, you, 
traveling, you know, your bow's getting jostled around. If you guys have been on a flight, I mean, I don't know if you've watched them throw luggage around, but it's, uh, it's not oh, yeah. pretty, <laughs> you know, it's not pretty. So yeah. make sure you get you a good bow case. You know, I recommend a Pelican or something like that. Put your stuff in, uh, when you're traveling, uh, and then, uh, you know, inspect all your equipment and everything once you get it back. And um, if you do go on an ATV or a UTV, yes, make sure it's in a case. Case, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Most yeah. You know, one one of the biggest things we hunt, we got a lot of dust, and so you, that dust gets in your cable guard and stuff like that, and your slide. And when you draw your bow back, you're gonna hear it grind. You're gonna hear it squeak a little bit, right. and uh, those are the things that uh, that'll drive a bull through the roof when it's. I mean, to be so quiet, you can hear a gnat fart at a thousand yards. Uh, and when you drag that bow back, oh no, they ain't having none of that. You know, they ain't yep. living with the mice in the woods. So uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, it's it's just about, you know, taking care of your equipment and understanding that things are going to be different and uh, taking the time out of your day to set you set yourself up for success. Yep, there you go. Well, bud, I think that's going to conclude this one. And uh, uh, I, I, I think this is awesome. And, and, you know, we've got a lot of people that are out there that are, that are pretty much set. You guys have been doing the work. You've been doing all the uh, learning. You've been listening to this stuff. You've been reading other things. You've got your gear. You've been practicing, working your skill set. Man, just go do it now. Believe in yourself. When you feel that bow get in your hand, I want you, as soon as you're stepping in the woods, to know that you can take an animal on that day because you can. And uh, you just keep working that confidence. And what you're, if this is your first elk hunt, that first legal animal that you see, and you've got a, a beautiful ethical shot, like the shot placement we've talked, take that animal. And uh, because you start doing that, uh, you get that first one under your belt, it's going to get easier. It's going to get better, and you're going to get more experience, and your confidence goes through the roof. And a lot of times, success is all about confidence, okay? You bet. You bet. Guys, please, like we said earlier in the show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast. If you have any questions, you want your questions aired out here on the show, please email them to info at elkbros.com. For Joe and Chav in New Mexico, I'm your host of the show, Gilbert Ornelas. We'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. See you guys. See you guys. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.